Good morning, everyone. How's everybody this morning? All right, let's all stand together. And somebody give the Lord praise or thanks for something he is, does, or will do. golf clap on. Um, anybody else? All right. If no one else, we're going to read from Psalm 146 today. Psalm 146. Psalm 146 says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the God we've come to praise, the God who opens the eyes of the blind, the God who sets prisoners free, the God who is here to uh, help us and be with us and lead us and guide us. We come to worship him today. Let's do that through some songs, but first let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. God of the 
King of Kings, you are. 
Have you guys ever heard the name of Nathan Mellick? You guys, some of you guys know that I'm really good with names. <laughs> Anyways, I've been looking at some stuff about uh, uh, archaeology and stuff. Anybody interested in that? Well, anyway, I was watching a, a, a program about the city of David where they were excavating. Anybody know about the Cavetti parking lot where they dug up this, they dug up the city and they found, found some stuff that was there since the time of David. And uh, they found this little bitty thing, it's called a bula, and it's about as big as your thumbnail. And it's got, it had a guy's name on there, his name was Nathan Mellick, servant of the king. And they said that this thing was, they said that this was back in the time of Josiah. And the Old Testament readers know who Josiah was. He was, he was the boy king. He brought about a revival and tore up all the, the stuff that these people were worshiping that wasn't, wasn't like God. Well, anyway, they found this thing in this building that they, they said it was, was like a, uh, like a big old building for, uh, for the king's servants and stuff. And I thought that was kind of cool. This guy, Nathan Mellick, it's, it's, they found it in the ground. It, it wasn't even mentioned. You know, it just mentioned one time in the Bible. I, I thought that was pretty cool. And that shows you that God's word is really true. They keep finding stuff that proves that God's word is really true. You know, we don't have to believe it anymore. It's a fact. So... I don't know, that don't have anything to do with, with communion, but I thought that would be pretty cool. Some of you may be interested in that. But anyway, on with the subject. And we know why we're here to do communion, right? Everybody knows, everybody knows what communion is. Uh, the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it. 
and said, this is my body. And he, he told him to break it and eat it and after he blessed it. He said, and, and took the, uh, the cup of wine and said, this is, this is my, my blood for the New Testament. As often as you drink this wine and eat this bread, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we do on Sunday morning around here. We, we, we remember what the Lord did for us 2,000 years ago on a cross, right? The, the bread was for the healing. If you, if you look up, the healing is for, the, the bread is for the healing. And that's in the atonement. And the, and the juice, the wine that we, that we drink, it's the blood. Is what he paid. He paid his life's blood for the sins of the world. And man, that's what the world needs today. They need, they need the blood of Christ applied to their lives so he could change your life and make you a new creature. So that's what the world needs. They don't need, they don't need politics. They don't need money. They need the Lord in their lives. So that's what we'll do today uh, to remember the Lord. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus, for sending him to die on a cross for our sins. And as we break this bread and drink this blood this morning, Lord, we just thank you for it. And we ask you, Lord, to, if someone's here that's sick, Lord God, we ask you to heal them. And if there's anybody here that needs to be saved, Lord, we ask you to touch their lives and bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said. Good morning. morning. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Matthew 25 Ministries um, 
collects pill bottles, and so we collect them here. If you want to bring them in, we have a plastic bin in the foyer, and they use them um, locally and abroad for shredding, for recycling, and for um, shipments of medical supplies. We also collect used ink cartridges. Um, there's also a bin in the foyer for that to help to reduce costs of office supplies here at the church. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. Donations can be dropped off during that day and time also, and there's some a list there of most frequently needed items if you're interested in donating. Refit is free dance fitness class for men and women, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. If you have any questions, you can talk to Kristen. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of every month. So the next one will be in a couple weeks, August 27th at 2 p.m. If you have questions, you can ask me. Um, but we have a welcome, I'm sorry, we have a sign up at the welcome table out in the foyer. HCC Weekly Community Cookout. Uh, every Saturday in August, we're going to be serving over at Fay Gardens. Um, we're meeting here at the church at 1, um, and we'll just prepare and pray. Empty Nesters Bible Study is going to be studying the 10 words to live by. Based on the Ten Commandments, they'll resume on September 1st, Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's home. If you have any questions, um, contact Sharon Ponchot, and she does need to know by August 21st if you plan to join so she can order you a book at no charge. <laughs> breakfast is better when we eat together. We have breakfast fellowship every first Sunday of the month at 9.30. If you have any questions or you'd like to make a breakfast for that day, talk to Carol Hankins. Ties and offerings can be given in person in, in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. There's also an op opportunity to give online. Weekly budgets listed here, and any monies that you're given to the church, um, you're supporting the ministries uh, right here. That's all I have. Thank you. So some of you all may think, like I do, why do we have somebody come up and read these announcements that are on the screen? You can obviously see them, right? Why do we have people read it? You want to know why? Because y'all don't pay attention. That's why. <laughs> so there you go. Question is answered. <laughs> all right, so today we're going to continue our series in Colossians. So let's turn together in our Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, and we're going to read verses 9 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And when you get there, find that in your Bibles. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is, Live a Life Worthy of the Lord. Live a Life Worthy of the Lord. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, the Scriptures say, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You may be seated. Are you living a life worthy of the Lord? Are you pleasing God in every way? Does God expect this of us? And is this kind of life even possible? Well, Paul answers those questions in today's passage. And we're going to see that God's will for all of his people is for us to live a life worthy of him and to please him in every way. Not just in some ways, but in every way God wants us to live our lives in a way that please him. So Paul shows us at least two things we all must do to live a life worthy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every good and perfect gift that you give to us. One of those gifts is your perfect word, which teaches us your perfect will for our lives. Help us hear your truth. Give us both the desire and the ability to practice the truth through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we must do to live a life worthy of the Lord is we must keep praying for complete comprehension of God's will. Keep praying for complete comprehension of God's will. In Colossians 1.9, Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
Now, Paul prays for the saints in Colossae because he's heard about their faith in Christ Jesus. Epaphras told Paul that the Colossians had heard the true gospel and that they had truly understood God's grace and their understanding was causing the gospel to bear fruit and grow among them and also throughout the world. And one piece of that fruit was the love that the Holy Spirit produced in them for all of God's people. So since the first day that Paul heard these things about the saints, he had never stopped praying for God's people. Now, for the second time in nine verses, Paul mentions how he constantly prayed for God's people. And since Paul mentions it again, let me say what I said a a few weeks ago. God's people are a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood. And part of your calling and my calling as royal priests of God is the call to constant prayer. Prayer is the primary work of all of God's people. When we can't do anything else, we can always pray. But prayer is the most important work any of us can do. So the thing that we can, we, when we can't do anything else we can do is the most important thing that we can do. That the greatest saints of God have always understood and lived by the truth that James teaches us in James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God's people have always been a praying people. Paul was constantly praying for God's people. Paul says Epaphras was constantly wrestling in prayer for God's people. When we read through the New Testament, we see the other apostles were constantly praying. And we see that the whole church was constantly praying. Why? Because they all knew the power of prayer. They understood that when we pray, things change. God changes people. God does things in response to our prayers. So they practice consistent prayer. And if those examples are not enough to show us the importance of constant prayer, well, let's look at two more examples. First, the Lord Jesus prayed constantly while he was on the earth. Look at what Luke says about Jesus in Luke 5, 15 through 16. He says, news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Notice this next word, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And notice that crowds of people were coming to Jesus to hear him and to be healed by him. And we might expect that Jesus would make himself available to all these people. And we might not expect that Jesus would leave the hungry and the hurting to go and pray. But that is what the scriptures say Jesus did. Jesus often withdrew from the crowds who were seeking to hear him and be healed by him. Jesus often withdrew from ministering to people so he could be alone to pray. And we learned some valuable lessons from Jesus' prayer life. So for my fellow introverts, I believe this shows us that Jesus was one of us. Don't let the extroverts take Jesus from us. Jesus was an introvert. See, Jesus loved people, but Jesus often needed to be alone. He had to go away from the crowds, away from the people who were clamoring for his attention. And if God in the flesh needed to be alone, he needed to be alone often, and that word is often means he did it a lot, then how much more do we need to pray? If God in the flesh often withdrew from everyone to private places to pray to his Father, even at times when people needed him the most, well, how much more do we need to pray? Jesus prayed constantly while on earth, and so should his people. And what is Jesus doing right now in heaven? Maybe we don't think about that question too often, but what is Jesus doing right now in heaven? But Paul tells us in Romans 8, 34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The word interceding, it means he's praying for us. The risen Jesus, now this is God in glorified flesh, is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And he's constantly interceding. He's constantly praying for his people. He's praying for his church He's praying for his body. He's praying also for the world like we should all do. So Jesus prayed while he was on the earth. He's praying now, and his people should do the same. Now, one more person who's constantly praying for God's people is the third member of the divine trinity. As Paul says in Romans 8, 26 through 27, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people 
in accordance with the will of God. So we got the Lord Jesus praying for us, and we also have the Holy Spirit who is constantly praying perfect prayers to God on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is praying that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will will be done in the lives of all God's people, and God's people should do the same. So whenever we pray, we find ourselves in the company of God's saints, God's Son, and God's Spirit. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are constantly praying for God's people. We've been given the great privilege, but also the great responsibility to join them and through our prayers, change the world. So let's devote ourselves to prayer. Let's take our calling as priests of God seriously. If we don't do it, nobody else will. Let's be consistent in our work and pray for God's people. And since we all need help with what to pray, well, Paul goes on in Colossians 1.9 to tell us exactly what he was continually asking God to do for God's people. Paul, te- Paul says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, did the people in Colossae know God's will? Absolutely, they did. See, they had heard God's will in the true gospel. They had been taught the true faith. They had received Christ Jesus as Lord, and they had a disciplined, strong, and obedient faith in Jesus. So Paul's not praying that God would reveal something new to the people in Colossae, something that they had never heard before. The Greek word behind the word knowledge, it means to fully understand something to completely comprehend something. Now, Paul used the verbal form of this word back in Colossians 1.6, and there he said that the Colossians had understood God's grace. So just as they had completely comprehended what they had been taught in the, in the gospel about God's grace, well, Paul kept praying that God's saints would completely comprehend everything that they'd learned about God's will for them in Christ. As Paul says in Colossians 2, 2 through 3, He was contending in prayer for all the saints that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's will for our lives and the life of the world is all wrapped up in his son, Jesus Christ. When we have Christ, we have everything. Everything worth knowing, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these treasures are hidden from the natural mind, hidden from the worldly wise. So we've got to have a spiritual mind and its supernatural help to completely comprehend the full riches of God's will for us in Christ. At the end of Colossians 1.9, Paul tells us where our help comes from. He says the complete understanding of God's will comes to God's saints through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. And the Holy Spirit gives God's people wisdom and understanding so we can completely comprehend God's will for us. And Paul teaches this same truth again in 1 Corinthians 2.12. He says, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may understand what God has freely given us. God gives the Holy Spirit to all of His people so that through the Spirit of God, we can gain a complete understanding of what God has freely given us in Christ so that we can comprehend the incomprehensible glory, riches, and blessings that God gives us in Christ. But this understanding does not come automatically or without effort on our part. Now, I really wish it did. I wish when we were baptized into Christ and received the Holy Spirit that we would all get this full understanding of what God gives us in Jesus like some kind of Holy Spirit zap or something like that, and we would just all get it. We know it. We, we get all this stuff. But the reality is it doesn't happen that way. But we need to keep praying, keep asking God to give us complete comprehension of his will. And we need to pray this not only for ourselves, but also for our brothers and sisters in the church. So let me urge you to do something. Let's turn Paul's prayer into our own prayer. Let's pray, Lord, fill your people with a complete, under, complete comprehension of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Let's pray that prayer over and over like Paul did. Paul said he kept asking God to give this to all of God's people. So let's make that our constant prayer to God, for God's people. Lord, fill your people with a complete comprehension of your will through all the wisdom and understanding 
that the Spirit gives. You don't have to memorize that prayer. Just look down in your Bible. That's all I did is quote Paul. That's what it is. So you can go home and you can turn it into your own prayer. And as we keep asking, well, let's remember what the Scriptures teach in 1 John 5, 14 through 15. John says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Remember, we should approach God with confidence. And here's what he says, that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That right there is a promise of answer prayer. If we'll just pray according to God's, to God's will. So when we pray the scriptures back to God, then we can know with absolute certainty that we're praying according to God's will. God gave us his perfect word to show us his perfect will. So when we turn the scriptures into our prayers, then we can know with certainty that God will not only hear us, God will also answer us. So if we turn Paul's prayer into our prayer, and if we keep asking God to fill us with a complete comprehension of his will, well, then we know that he will hear us, and we know that he will give us what we asked of him. So let's believe God's promise. Let's keep praying for a complete comprehension of God's will for us and for others. And one of the most important parts, let's expect God to give us what we ask of him so that we can all live lives that are worthy of the Lord. But living a life worthy of the Lord takes more than just completely comprehending God's will. See, when we know God's will, we've got to do something with that knowledge. Now, you've likely heard the saying, knowledge is power. You've all heard that, right? Well, that statement is only partially true. The knowledge is only potential power. If we don't do something with the knowledge we have, it has no power at all in our lives. And that brings us to the second thing we must do to live a life worthy of the Lord. We must keep practicing complete compliance to God's will. In Colossians 1.10, Paul tells us why the saints need God's spirit to give us a full, under, a full knowledge of God's will. It's so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Our knowledge of God, our knowledge of God's will must come out in the life that we live. If we just get all this knowledge about God and never do anything with it, I mean, you could sit in the church for 50 years and never do anything with any of this information, right? Doesn't do you any good, doesn't do anybody else any good. And then when you go to meet God, you're going to have a rude awakening because God is going to say, you're supposed to obey the word, not just hear it. You've got to obey the word. It's got to become a practical knowledge. It's got to get from our heads to our hearts, and then from our hearts to our hands as we strive through God's grace to obey Christ's commands. When we completely comprehend that God's will for us is to make us like him so that we become by grace what the Lord Jesus is by nature, when we understand that everything God wills for us in Christ is only for our good, well, that'll drive us to live our lives in complete comprehension with God's good, pleasing and perfect will for us. And what does a life like that look like? Well, Paul goes on to explain at least three ways we practice complete compliance to God's will. First, we practice complete compliance to God's will by being fruitful in every good work. In Colossians 1.10, Paul says, we please God in every way by bearing fruit in every good work. So the Christian life is a fruitful life. A life where God's people reflect the good character of our good God by doing good works. It's a shame that good works have gotten such a bad rap in the church because we've missed our calling when we don't do good works. We missed the entire reason that Jesus came to the earth to make us like him so that we'll do the good works he created us to do in Christ, what God the Father created us to do in Christ. But when we love God and we love others, well, that love will express itself in good works. And not just some good works but in every good work, not just to some people, but to all people. The Christians need to do good to those who are good to us and to those who are not, to those who love us and to those who hate us. Why do we do that? Because that's what our good God and Father is like. And God's will for his people is that his children would be like him. As Jesus says in Luke, 20, uh, Luke 6, 27 through 36, To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get back, get anything back. Let me stop just a second. Jesus is talking about our enemies here. Giving money to our enemies, giving things to our enemies and not expecting it back. That's absolutely insane from a worldly point of view. Anyway, Jesus goes on. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. See, our good and gracious God is always doing good to everyone. He's merciful to everyone. Not only to those who love him, but to his enemies, to sinners who hate, who hate him and curse him and mistreat him. And to be like our heavenly father, we must do the same. And you're not going to become like that by listening to the culture that we live in. The culture is going to teach you the exact opposite. We need to have our minds set on, on heavenly things instead of earthly things. Because we can't live like the Lord wants us to live if we're taking in everything around us and becoming like our culture. To practice complete compliance to God's will and to please him in every way, we've got to be fruitful in every good work. And again, that means not only to to good people, but to people who are not very good, like all of us once were. And a second way we practice complete compliance to God's will is by growing in the knowledge of God. Now, at the end of Colossians 1.10, Paul urges us to keep growing in the knowledge of God. So as we live our lives our lives in line with God's will for us, through God's grace, we'll do what God does. And as we do what God does, we'll gain a deeper knowledge of God. Our knowledge of God becomes experiential instead of just in our heads. It becomes a practical knowledge. We taste and see that the Lord is good, his will is good, and his ways are good. But that's not all. By living a life in line with God's will, we give the world a taste of what God is like. And that will awaken some people's appetite. Not everybody, but it will awaken some people's appetite for God and his ways. And this is why in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus tells his followers to let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works, which is what that word is, deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when God's children are living out God's will by doing every good work, what we're shining the light on and drawing attention to the character of our Heavenly Father. And when people see our good works, well, it should lead them to give glory to our Father in heaven. Why? Because it's only by God's grace that we're able to practice complete compliance to God's will. It's only by God's power that we're able to be fruitful in every good work. And that brings us to the third and final way we practice complete compliance to God's will. We do it by being strengthened with all God's power. We need to stop trying to live this life in our own strength. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It ends in disaster. When I try to live like a Christian without Christ, it just doesn't work at all. So in Colossians 1, 11 to 12, Paul says, we live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way by being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And keep giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. You know, the Christian life is the best life. It's the life that every human being is created to live. But it's not an easy life. And it's not always an enjoyable life. And anybody who tells you that the Christian life is roses and uh, whatever, something, something, everything is always great, well, they're not, they're not telling you the truth. The Christian life takes patient endurance. We don't normally need to patiently endure things that we enjoy. Is that right? Now, there are no doubt enjoyable times in the Christian life. Times when you get with the Lord and his people and get so blessed that it's like you're walking on the clouds. And if you've never experienced that, you need to get around God's people more. See, those times are great. 
But at other times in the Christian life, we will need to endure many things that are not so enjoyable. It's a life with crosses to carry. It's a life with conflicts to conquer. There will be trials and troubles. There will be temptations and tests. There will be many things we must learn to endure as we live as citizens of heaven in a world that hates us. Now, Jesus never sugarcoated this for any of his disciples. When people wanted to come and follow him, Jesus counseled them to count the cost before they pick up their cross to follow him on this difficult road that leads to life. I think today we promise people something that this this life is not. Then when they get on this road and it gets hard, they give the whole thing up because we promised them something that this life doesn't deliver. Now, this life does deliver many things, but like I said, it, it comes with difficulties. In Matthew 13, 13, Jesus tells his disciples one of the costs that come with following him. He says, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. How many of y'all want to be hated by everyone? Not just a couple, but everybody hates you. This is what Jesus is offering you when you come follow him. And he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, there are glories and riches beyond description waiting for us at the end of the road to life. But to get to those glories and riches... We've got to patiently endure persecution, temptation, and trouble as we do God's will to the end. But we do not and cannot do this in our own strength. We can only patiently endure all things and stand firm in all the will of God until the end as we're strengthened with God's power. And listen, this is the power that Paul describes in various ways as mighty power, exceedingly great power, incomparably great power, and glorious power. It's the same death-conquering power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and exalt him to the place of universal supremacy at God's right hand. That's big power. That power is beyond abundant. And here's the most important thing. That power is always available to all of God's people to empower us to practice God's will. So God's miraculous power strengthens us so that we can patiently endure everything that comes to us as we do God's will. But God's power does even more. That through God's divine power at work within us through the Holy Spirit, that we're not only able to patiently endure every difficulty we face for serving God, we're not only enabled to endure those things that are not so enjoyable for us, We're also empowered to give joyful thanks to our Father right in the middle of our most difficult days. Through God's glorious might, we have the power to praise God through our problems. You know, when hard times come to Christians, and when things don't seem to go our way in this world, we can be tempted to complain and become discouraged. And it can seem impossible to do what the Scriptures say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 18. Scriptures tell us to rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, the less than joyful times can make it seem impossible to obey God's command to rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances. But let's always remember this truth. God will never tell his children to do anything that we cannot do through his power. God will never tell his children to do anything that we cannot do through his power. So if we'll keep our minds and our hearts on things above and not on earthly things, if we'll keep our focus on the incredible inheritance our God and Father has qualified us for in the kingdom of light, the glory that we'll one day share with Christ, and if we'll allow God's power to work within us, then no matter what difficulties we face in this world, we'll always give joyful thanks to our Father as we patiently endure all things through his power. And that's God's will for his people. So as we close, let me ask you again. Are you living a life worthy of the Lord? Are you pleasing God in every way? As we've seen today, this is God's will for all of his people. And this is possible for all God's people. If we'll keep praying for complete comprehension of God's will, and if we'll keep practicing complete compliance to God's will by being fruitful in every good work, by growing in the knowledge of God, and by being strengthened with all God's power, so that we can give joyful thanks to God as we, endure patient, as we patiently endure all things. Well, if we'll do all those things, then we will live a life that's worthy of the Lord. We will please him in every way. And the best part about it is our great and glorious God and Father will get all the glory.
So let's go and let's strive to live every day in God's power so that we can live a life worthy of the Lord. Let's all stand for prayer. Most gracious, good, and glorious Father, we thank you for revealing your will to us through your word. We thank you for the promise that through your power, we can live lives that are worthy of you and please you in every way. Lord, give us the grace to be obedient to your will at all times. Give us the grace to do good at all times so that our lives will glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, they're going to sing a final song. Uh, while they do that, you're welcome to come forward if you want to pray. Uh, if you want somebody to pray with you, you're sick or anything like that, come forward. Uh, we'll pray with you. Uh, we'll have people anoint you with oil. We'll pray with you. The scriptures say when we do that, that the prayer offered in faith makes sick people well. We believe that, so we do that here. If you uh, want to talk about anything at all, someone to be up here to pray with you. If you just want to pray by yourself, you're welcome to do that as well. Also, if you have a question about anything that I've said today, I'll be available afterwards. We can talk about that. If you don't know the Lord, then today's the day for that. Then we'll talk about that after, uh, after we leave, after they sing this final song. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you, and they're going to sing a final song. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Yours is the glory.